So I have three kids, uh, nine, six, and three are their current ages. And uh, my six-year-old, my nine-year-old take the bus to get to school. And uh, I, I get to spend a little bit of time with my, my three-year-old, uh, just me and him, before I have to come to work and get in the office. And so as the girls are going out to the bus, it's common that, especially in the middle of February, uh, Eli, my three-year-old and I, will be standing in our, in our front bay window, and we lucked out on, on a draw of bus stops. Our bus stop is literally right across the street from our house. And, and so kind of a minute before the bus comes, you know, Evie will go out there, and she'll be standing by the mailbox waiting for the bus to come. We can see her and whatnot. So I can just stand inside where it's nice and warm. And so Eli will be up in the bay window, and I'm standing there too. And uh, we've kind of started this thing a little bit where we try to communicate through the glass because we can't hear each other. You know, so you know, do the I love yous kind of stuff and uh, stuff like that and, and make silly faces. And we've started to do these things where it's like like the fake escalator. You know, we start walking and you're doing one of those. Or just walking straight. Uh, that's like, you know, the, the fake elevator. You just kind of, you know, if you can't see the legs, it looks like some of those things are going on where, where there appears to be something there. As you look at the evidence, like, oh, that there might be something there. It, it's like a mime. It's a, a bad mime job. Have you ever seen a mime? Um, you probably got frustrated, too, just because it can be a little frustrating. But, um, you know, it looks like there's something there, but there, there really isn't, right? And as you investigate it more, as you look from another angle, or maybe that guy in the middle of a mime show, you just try to walk right through the imaginary box he's been pushing. But as you investigate it more, you realize that there's nothing there. If you've ever had experience with the mime, you've possibly grown a little more skeptical in your life. I know I have as well. I've yet to see a mime pushing a genuine, comically oversized, invisible box because uh, the evidence has pointed to the fact that there is no giant, comically oversized, <laughs> invisible box. And yet, all this said, there are still things that are true and worthy of our trust that are unseen. There are still unseen things in this world that are true and worthy of our trust. I've yet to see the wind. Have you ever seen the wind before? I, I, I can see what it moves. I can see the trees sway in the wind and the gusts. I can hear noises that it causes as it moves past. I can see some of the tree branches snap as they succumb to its strength. I can feel the wind as it causes cooling on my skin. The wind helps, uh, sorry, the, 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 the condens- or, I'm sorry, the evaporation that causes a cooling on your skin. I can feel it push against me and, and reveals any exposed skin in this kind of weather because it finds a way uh, to just bring that cold right to your body. Windmills harness its power and weather vanes reveal the direction of its journey, and yet you can't see the wind. I can't see radio waves, yet I hear daily broadcasts on my car radio. I turn the radio on, and, and I, I get to hear someone sitting in a booth somewhere else playing a song or, or sharing a story. It's like, like two cans connected with a string where one person's one place and the other one's further away, out of earshot. You know, I can use a walkie-talkie to, to play with my kids and, and hear them from across the yard. Those who know my kids know you can hear them from across the yard anyway, but you get the point. You can't see the radio waves between those two walkie-talkies. <laughs> kind of similar but different. I can put food in a microwave and it comes out hotter than when it went in, yet I can't see the microwaves that cause that to happen. No one has ever seen my mind. How do we know it's there? If we really want to take this a step further, no one's seen yours either. 
we can observe the human brain. We can dissect a body after its life has been extinguished. And we can see there's a brain there. We can observe chemical reactions taking place. As we saw a study from 2016, so that they're starting to be able to decode human thought. But it was only in the context of speech. They could train the computer to identify the kind of chemical reactions going on and, and figure out what someone's trying to say. But we've yet to visibly see this internal sense of self. And yet we'd all agree that it exists. It's difficult sometimes when it comes to the unseen nature of things that are true, right? E- even as we look at the evidence and see, yeah, this is something that's there. There's a part, I don't know about you, but for me, there's a part of me where I just, I, I want to be able just to, okay, let's just take, you know, I'll question out and just, here's a jar full of wind. And you can see it and have, you know, you know it's right in front of you, you can touch it and all that, but not all things in life work that way. As I grew in my faith, I struggled with the unseen aspect of God. I've not seen God in a way that I can see you before me. You and I can have an audible conversation. We can shake hands, and I can feel your hand in mine. You can feel mine in yours. We can go out for lunch afterwards and share a meal together. I have yet to physically grasp the hand of God. I have yet to audibly hear God's voice. I know some have had that experience, and I don't discount that. I haven't had that personal experience of hearing God's audible voice. I tried to have lunch with God once until I told the waiter that God will cover the bill. He didn't think that was as clever as I did. I, I asked many of the questions that, we were, that we've been going through through this series. If you've been with us over these past six, seven weeks, we're in, we're in the middle of a series called Explore God. We kind of asked some of these big questions about faith. Is Jesus really God? Is the Bible trustworthy? Is it believable? Why is there suffering? And I, I've asked a lot of these questions as I, uh, as, as I struggle through this question of this unseen aspect of God. And as I investigated and sought answers, I began to see evidence of God. I, I began to see how he's revealed himself to our world. And I saw that God is true and he's worthy of our trust. But none of this, for me at least, uh, up to that point, had changed the unseen aspect of God. And so what was my next step after belief? After I came to a place of putting my faith and trust in this unseen God, how does my life play out any differently than before I trusted in Jesus? Does God even desire for us to pursue him? Does he desire for us to continue to be in relationship with him? Or does he take the standpoint of, yeah, yeah, take care of your sins, now just leave me alone? Another way to phrase kind of this question that we're walking towards is, can I know God personally? Can I have a personal relationship with this unseen God? Now, today's a culmination of six weeks of these tough questions that I mentioned before, and we're kind of standing on some conclusions. We're standing on the conclusions that God exists, that Jesus is God, that this story, God's story, is revealed in the Bible. And if you're not there yet, if you don't share those beliefs, we encourage you to keep asking questions. Keep asking questions. Keep investigating. Keep pursuing to see, hey, is this unseen God true? Can I know him? Can I be in relationship with him? Keep asking big questions. And also, as you walk that road, know that you're welcome in this place, and we are genuinely glad you are here. The second thing I, I would ask is, would you be willing to be known? I think sometimes that's, that's a difficult thing, right? To kind of just share our story with someone else. 
Would you be willing to be known by someone here at Meadowland as, as they desire to get to know you and uh, are willing to be known by you as well? And to enter into a genuine relationship of wanting to grow in knowing what is true. Wanting to know more about God. That'd be my invitation for you. But for those who are at the point of saying, yes, I believe God exists and Jesus is God, and their story is revealed in the Bible, the question we ask this morning is, can we know God personally? Can we personally know God? First, I think we need to establish the profound truth that God desires to be in a relationship with you. Say that again. God desires to be in relationship with you. If you have one of those moments where Steve's speaking to me right now, the answer is yes. If Steve's speaking about those in my life, the answer is yes. If he's speaking to those that I'm struggling with right now and have frustration or anger or been hurt by or maybe I hurt, yes. God desires to be in relationship with his people. The earliest picture we see of the existence of man in, in the Bible, we see God in relationship with man and woman. We see God walking through the garden with man. In relationship, in conversation, we see this relationship from the very beginning. You can fast forward to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in speaking to his people, the Israelites, we get this passage referred to as the Shema. And basically has two parts to it. First, it's this call to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So he's saying to his people, I, I, I long for you to love me with all that you have all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And as he continues, you see this, this, the ways in which he calls his people to engage with him in their daily lives. You see, that reveals God's heart to be in relationship with his people. If you know the history of the Israelites, you know they have some difficult times and some amazing times. And one of those difficult times, they'd been overrun and they'd been exiled. Babylon had come in, other, other nations had defeat them, defeated them, and there's this exile. They just kind of sent them different places. And you would imagine some who are still chasing after God, pursuing God, may have asked big questions and wondered, God, where are you in all this? We were supposed to be your people. You were supposed to be our God, and yet here we are dispersed throughout the land. We see in Jeremiah 29, you might be familiar, maybe you heard before, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I, ha- I have for you, declares the Lord. People usually say, God has a plan, he's, he's doing something. So he, he's saying this to his people who have been exiled, I have a plan for you, but I want you to look at the next verses uh, that follow. So he's talking about, hey, there's, there's still a plan going on here. I have good things for my people. And he says this, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. In one of their lowest times, God's saying, I'm still here. I'm still with you. Seek me. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Keep going forward. We have Jesus on the scene. And he comes uh, in relationship with mankind. He steps into what it's like to be human. Right? And imagine those years prior to his public ministry, the relationship with other people that he came across when he walked this earth in the flesh. And then he gets to this time, too, where he's questioned about what, what does God desire for us? What, what does the law say? What's the greatest? And he says, love God is the main thing. This call to be in relationship with God. He reaffirmed this call to love God. We can keep going down this road, but I think we can see that, yes, God desires relationship with everyone. 
God desires relationship with us. And since God desires that, he has made himself known. From the vastness of the universe to the complexities of atomic particles. We can look at the world and see evidence that points to a designer. We can see evidence that points to one who had intentionality in making what we see around us. Romans 1, verse 19 and on says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, can be clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. One of my hobbies, one of the things I, I enjoy to do is, is woodworking. Um, I kind of go in waves. I'll start a bunch of projects, and then I'll let them sit in my garage, and then I'll, I'll feel a certain level of guilt and try to finish them all up so I can start a whole another wave of projects. Um, but one of the things that I like to do is, is I like to see what someone else does, watch how they build, and learn from them. And, and usually I, I like to get uh, where there's someone who's further along in their journey than me when it comes to woodworking, so I can pick up some tricks and, uh, of the trade and some tips, and I'll, and I'll watch what they do. And, and so with the advent of YouTube, uh, it's almost made that a little easier. And so there'll be times I'll be on YouTube, and I'll, I'll kind of look for different uh, you know, pe- people making things. A bench, maybe there's a pl- something I want to make in our home, and I'll, I'll, I'll look for that. And I found that when, when you look at what people have made, it reveals a little something about them, right? I, I've seen some pieces of furniture that have been made with such precision and such craftsmanship and such attention to detail that that tells you something about the craftsman, right? I've seen other stuff made. Some of these just drive me nuts where it's like, hey, here's how to build this, which it really should say something. I've never done this before, but I feel myself doing it for the first time to reveal that I don't know what I'm doing. And you see some of those, and, and like, oh, you don't have any experience because I'm not an expert, but I know you're doing that wrong. But like, hey, okay, more power to you. You're trying. That's a good thing. I don't want to you know, discourage that trying and, and jumping into it, so that's good. So it can reveal someone's experience level. Maybe they're talking about things that you have no idea. You're like, oh, my gosh, reveals my experience level. I, I don't know any of that stuff. But the more we learn about the wonders of the world, the more it reveals about God and who he is. If at the very least, what Paul's talking about in Romans, is the very power of God. That all that we see, all that we learn about this world is less than God's power, is less than God's greatness, is less than God's beauty and grandness, because he is the author of it all. It means it came from him, right? Just imagine, next time you're looking at just an amazing landscape, maybe a chance to, to get away and, and you stand on, on a, a cliff out looking at a forest or a mountain or a valley or a lake or a river, just something majestic. And you see something in nature. My son loves these nature shows, right? And, and I, I don't know how some of the photographers get the shots that they get. I mean, I imagine some guy like laying on the jungle floor for like 12 hours straight just to get a line of ants going across. You can wonder all the different things that like crawled over him or past him. He's freaking out inside, but he's like, gotta get this shot. We get these amazing shots of nature, and I see that, and I'm like, God, you are so amazing. You see some of the really wacky things in some of the uh, nature and some of the different animals. I'm like, God, you are real interesting because that animal is weird. <laughs> Anyways, God has made himself known in all that he's made. And so that's one way that we can have a relationship with him is look at what he's made and come to know him a little bit. But he makes himself known in other ways. 
And sometimes the way that God reveals himself, the way that God connects with others, might not be your story. Let's just put that out there. I think we struggle with that sometimes when we come across someone who's got a relationship with God and they're growing and there's a way that they connect with God that you can't relate to. I think sometimes we walk down this path and we say, what's wrong with me? Why doesn't God speak to me that way? And on one hand, I think it's okay to say to God, God, would you speak to me in the way you speak to my friends? But we also need to acknowledge that that doesn't make you less than. On one hand, we can look at Moses' story. God spoke to the guy through a burning bush. Lights a bush on fire and a voice comes from him and tells him, hey, go and save my people from Egypt. And on the science side of things, I love the fact that there actually are bushes in that region that have oil on their, on their branches that, that keeps them from fully combusting, but they will actually spontaneously combust and kind of burn off some of the excess heat from being in the desert, but that's a whole other story, a whole other conversation. But God speaks through this burning bush to Moses. I've shared before that if you have any, any friends, uh, um, know people uh, who are Muslims, Muslims in, in, their, in their background uh, elevate the meaning and significance of green far more than kind of our Western mindset. And so I, I've uh, heard many different stories from Muslims who have come to faith in Jesus, and as they share their story of, of how they got to this point where they acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, a, a lot of times their story involves a dream that they had where God spoke to them in the midst of those dreams. God's never really spoke to me through my dreams. I may have had a few bonfires in my backyard, but I've never heard the voice of God through them. So let's acknowledge that there are different ways that God speaks to his people. Some of the more common in the sense of uh, most people, I think, whether they can experience these or have experienced these, is God makes himself known through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is referred to a bunch of di- as a bunch of different things in Scripture too. Holy Spirit, a, a counselor, one that would help us, a helper. Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and we stop and think about it, it means the Holy Spirit helps us to know what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what is not. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do what God has called us to do. And so as, as we come to know God more through the Holy Spirit, we get to know God personally. This book, the Bible, refers to itself as the very word of God, as the very word of God. Last week we looked at this question, is the Bible reliable? If you want to uh, dig into that a little more, that's up on Facebook, and will be on the, the website as well in the near future here. But God has already spoken, and you can see what he's like as you read his word. You ever kept a journal or a photo album? You kind of jump back five years, ten years, twenty years, and you kind of read what you wrote before, it reveals a little bit who you are. You can see how you've grown. It's not that the God of the universe who is already complete and full. And here's his word spoken to his people, and it reveals something about who he is. God makes himself known in many ways. I think one of the primary ways that God has made himself known is in Jesus. Two weeks ago we asked this question, is Jesus really God? You can go back and listen to that one as well. We see in John 14, 7, I love this, Jesus says this, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He's saying, hey, if you know me, you know the Father. I and the Father are one, is what he's saying. God is known personally in Jesus. While we are 2,000 years past 
the days Jesus walked in the flesh. We may not be able to have that interaction with him. We can shake his hand, have a conversation audibly, and, and go to lunch with him. But there's the stories of those who did walk alongside him. The disciples lived and died professing the risen Jesus. They were the ones who could touch the hand of God. They're the ones who have had audible conversations with Jesus. Everything from the things of, of life and, and, and God and truth to what should we do for lunch today. They even ate lunch with Jesus. And just a little aside, a little observation as I was putting that note in here. Jesus went to have lunch with fishermen and brought the fish. I mean, how awesome is that? He's like, hey, I know what you can do. I got you covered. Here's some fish. They had all those kinds of interactions with Jesus and knew God personally. So while we started talking about the difficulty of the unseen nature of God, as we come to know God more through his word, we see, hang on a second, God is a seen God. There are people who have walked this earth who have seen God because he is revealed in Jesus because Jesus is God. And to be honest, there, there is nothing greater than knowing Jesus. There is nothing greater in this world that this world has to offer than knowing Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read from there in a minute. Philippians 3, verse 7. If you want to go digital, uh, we actually have uh, updated uh, our Wi-Fi. And so um, if you connected before, you didn't have to reconnect. There's still a Meadowland free Wi-Fi that's out there and available for you. If you want to download an app or go digital or go online, uh, to look up BibleGateway.com has got a great service uh, for an online option, or you can even download U version, Y O U version, uh, if you want. We love getting the Word of God in front of people. Philippians chapter three. Apostle Paul wrote this, and he's writing to the church in Philippi. And uh, as we look at Paul's life, at one point he's known as Saul, and he's going from town to town and, and, and pursuing these people who are followers of Jesus. And he's pursuing them, he's capturing them, they're beating them, sometimes they're executing them, sometimes they're imprisoning them, but he's got a mission to take down these Jesus followers. But all of a sudden, there's this transition in, in Paul's life. At that point, he was referred to as Saul. Then he had a vision on this road to this go to Damascus that, that left him blinded. And he saw Jesus. He came to know Jesus personally, and that caused a, a point in his life that completely changed his trajectory. Every aspect of his life changed from that point forward. So much so that the early church leaders were skeptical of this Saul turned Paul. They said, hey, I know your backstory. I know who you are. What do you mean you're preaching Christ crucified? What do you, what do you mean you're saying salvation is found in Jesus? But as they continued to get to know him and investigate, they saw this was genuine. And so you have to ask, what caused this change in, in Paul's life? It's because he came to know Jesus. He came to know the truth of who Jesus is, that he is God, of what he did on the cross and paid the price for sin. And he lived his life following him. He saw knowing Jesus as the greatest thing this life has to offer. Verse uh, 7 of, of Philippians chapter 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. See, anything I had that was of gain, anything good that I had was like a loss when you compare it to the greatness of Jesus, to the amazing aspect of knowing him. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's saying, I I am righteous not because of what I have done, but because of the work of Jesus and who Jesus is. I fully rely on who he is, is what Paul is saying. Any of my good works and other other places in Scripture, he outlines all of the reasons why he was kind of a big deal. Especially in the eyes of the early Jews. He says that's all garbage compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus. The forgiveness of sin, salvation is found in him. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Knowing Jesus is the greatest thing this life has to offer. Here's someone who had a complete life change because he came to know Jesus. Isn't that what God desires for us as well? That we would come to know Jesus personally and it would bring about such change that those around us would be asking, hey, what's different? What's gotten into you? I'm just following truth. I'm following who I know Jesus to be. Let's clarify something if I could real quick. Knowing Jesus is simple. Knowing him is simple. Simple doesn't always mean easy. Just means there's not many steps involved. Going to Ikea, buying furniture, and trying to assemble it is not simple. But knowing Jesus is simple. In Romans, Paul t- lays out his, his understanding of who Jesus is. You know, he gets this point in, in chapter 10, verse 10, where he basically says, With your heart you believe, and with your mouth you confess. If you believe that Jesus is God, you believe that his death on the cross paid the price for your mistakes, you want to confess that with your mouth. Knowing Jesus is believing that he is the Son of God, trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins. And so if you were to say, what does it mean to be in relationship with Jesus? At, at its most simplest aspect, it, it, it's believing that he is who he said he is and trusting in him. That's like confessing with your mouth. You're saying, yep, not only do I believe it, but I, I trust in it. I, I, I put everything, all my trust in Jesus and who he says he is and what he did. See, one thing that all religions that I've seen, that I've looked into, have in common, is we all acknowledge the brokenness of man. We all acknowledge the brokenness that that is this human race, that we all fall short of perfection. And as followers of Christ, see, we just acknowledge that there's nothing we can do to fix it. This uh, week, my wife had her birthday. Uh, She turned 28, and, um, no, I'm just kidding. But it was her birthday, and, and she is amazing. And uh, so the kids and I put together some uh, cupcakes and, and this uh, Swiss meringue frosting that she likes. And, and um, I got lucky. turned out pretty good. Um, but imagine I was making those cupcakes. And all of a sudden I realized that maybe a, a fingernail that was, it was, you know, a little tip that you'd break a little bit of nail. And, you know, maybe it was a thorn. I think it may have fallen on, on the dining mat or the turkey. Or worse yet, maybe one of the kids had a Band-Aid on their finger. You know, kids always have Band-Aids whether they need them or not. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I got to go here, though. I got to go here. Imagine that Band-Aid's gone, and you saw it fall in, and you're like, oh, it'll just end up in one cupcake, you know. And you make them. I, I, I wouldn't do that for real. It's just an example. But you could put all this goodness on that cupcake. Uh, and again, I am not a baker. I'm not a chef. I just followed instructions and got real lucky, and, and the, the, 
copying for these cupcakes was out of this world. My wife says the best one she ever had, and she has to say that because she loves me. But you could put all the goodness on top of those cupcakes you want. Is that going to change for anyone? Is that going to change the fact that there's there's some garbage in it too? No. And yet we look at our lives and say, hey, as long as I do enough good things, that's going to take care, that's going to outweigh all the garbage I've done, all the brokenness in my life. But it's still there. And that's the problem. And so we say, as followers of Jesus, we say, there's nothing I can do. It's there. It's done. The the cupcakes are baked, and and there's some garbage in there that shouldn't be there. There's nothing we can do to fix it. The problem in Jesus says, he's made a way where there was no way. He's just traded out the cupcakes all together and given us uh, an amazing one that is perfect in every way. And he's taken our garbage one and he's paid the price for that on the cross. So where there was no way out, Jesus came and made a way. He lived a sinless life, a perfect life. He did not deserve death. He did not deserve separation from the Father. Yet he allowed himself to go to the cross and die on the cross as a sacrifice. So that when we trust in him, we believe that he is God and trust in him with our lives. This transaction takes place where he takes on our unrighteousness and we take on his righteousness. He pays the price for that unrighteousness at the cross. Knowing Jesus is truly simple. But while on one hand there is a transactional aspect where he takes on our garbage and pays the price for it and we're left with his righteousness, It's not simply just an exchange of goods where we go our own ways afterwards. It's the beginning of a relationship with the God of the universe. Knowing Jesus is simple. Knowing Jesus is a relationship. This may seem like a a simple truth. Some may be like, hey, I've been in the church for a long time, and and I grew up in the church. My parents were involved in the church and all that. I I, I know this stuff. So, Steve, just let me know when there's something new, and I'll I'll tune back in. Otherwise, uh, I got some words with friends, or I got some games I want to check on my phone real quick, and I'll check out. If you're thinking that, just stick with me. This may be something basic at at first look, but we need to see this. Because if our foundation is off, that will affect the whole rest of the life that's built upon it. Following Jesus is a relationship. My six-year-old had a function at school where uh, afterwards, any parents that are there witnessing, you can go back to the classroom. You just take your kid out of the classroom and you you can take him home. And so I have a chance to do that. And so Olivia and I, uh, my six-year-old, are are walking to the car. And there's a mom and, and her son, you know, within five feet of us. And she says, Dad, that's my best friend from my class. And just so full of joy. She, she noticed him and her face lights up. Dad, that's my best friend from class. Well, that's cool, honey. What's his name? I don't know. He's just my best friend. <laughs> in the sweetness of that little six-year-old, you see her heart is for that little boy. She cares for him and wants to be his friend. But that relationship isn't quite there yet, right? And I know she's just six and, you know, she's, she's lucky she didn't miss my name. But, uh, through that relationship is where some of that knowing someone really comes, right? Think about some of the more significant relationships in your life. How did they come to be where they are today? Because I think knowing someone, being in a relationship with someone, there's two kind of common things that bring us to that place. One is time spent together. Think about the people you know the best. I guarantee you there's a history of time spent together, Right? The exception, I would say, maybe there's someone in your life that you haven't known very long, but you'd say, we truly know each other. 
I would argue there's probably uh, an intense shared experience that you have where there's this quick bond that was built, this quick connection that was built. See, relationship comes through shared experiences over time. And so if we ask this question, how do we grow in knowing God personally? Well, sure, we can know God through his creation, through his, his church, through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through prayer. But ultimately, it's got to come down to time with him and shared experience with him. It's got to come down to a relationship with God. A couple ways we can do that. You know, one, it may seem kind of cliche, but in prayer, in, in time in his word. And doing these things and spending time with him. But we got to do it in a way where we're truly seeking relationship, not just checking off a box for something we did. Build a pattern of prayer in your life. And if I can caution you, I think sometimes we fall into this trap where we see prayer, and, and I get it. I see this in my kids when they want something. Literally, they come and just declare something. I'm hungry. You ever do that to God? You just declare something? You expect him to figure it all out and do it all? It's like, no, if you need something, you can ask for it. Or maybe they take the next step and they come in, give me a juice box. Are you telling me or are you asking? Yeah, can I have a juice box? I'm missing something. Yeah, can I have a juice box, please? Or a glass? No, I'm not. But we, we grow in our relationship, right, as we come to know him. And so I would encourage you to grow in how you interact with God through prayer. Uh, my heart is that our prayers would be uh, focused on getting to know who God is. And yeah, I think a lot of times our prayers are focused on who we want God to be. Let me give you some examples of that. If I could clarify real quick, God is not the God of one particular political party. Maybe in your prayers when politics are raging and different stuff's going on, like, hey God, here's, here's what you need to do in this political party because you're, you're our God, right? And he is the God of all people. So in our prayers, we should use them to get to know who he is instead of telling him, here's what I think you should do. He, he is not a cosmic vending machine to meet our every desire, but he is the sovereign God who desires for us to follow him. He is not, this, this, I'm just kind of, I got to tell myself or remind myself this one. Do you know that God is not in support of all your beliefs? Where you stand today, what you believe about the world there's some things that you and God don't see eye, and eye, eye, eye to eye on. And yet I think sometimes we put ourselves in this position of authority as God who's the one who pulls the trigger. God's the one who, who follows what we say. But no, no, no. The, the, the point of prayer, first and foremost, is to know God. And in that, can we ask of him? Can we say, God, you know, here's what I would love to see happen, and here's why. And, and, and yeah, Scripture teaches we should share our heart with him. We should ask for those things. I still want my kids to come and ask me for a juice box when they're thirsty. Their mom would prefer water or milk, but that's okay. We'll figure it out. But I want my kids to come to me with those questions. But before any of that, I want my kids to know me, and I want to know them. And so it's not that those are bad things to ask. Or I'm not saying it's bad to involve God in, in, in our political life. He, he wants to be in every aspect of our life. We should ask God for the things that we want, the things that we need. But do we begin in this place where we pray to know God? As we grow in knowing Jesus, I invite you to spend more time listening. And, and I'll say this as a guy who just said I've never heard the audible voice of God. Let us spend more time listening for God, what that looks like 
so it begins with silence and study. In our prayer, in our time with God, we just read his word and, and seek to know him. We'll start with a prayer, something along the lines of, God, help me to see who you are in your word. Instead of just jumping to a, a prayer about, here's all the things I'm looking for, here's all the things I want, here's all the things I'm, uh, I'm scared about. But we would have a moment of silence. We may not hear an audible voice of God, but we can trust that if we trust in Jesus, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And we'll speak to God on our behalf. He'll help us pray when we don't know what to pray. So as we grow in knowing him, begin or take the next step in silence and study in his word. Uh, if I can give you a caution as well, here's a passage that um, has caused me pause from time to time. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, I'll close out with this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to a broad audience, people gathered around to, to hear him speak, and he's teaching probably predominantly with Jews listening, people who have uh, grown up in, in knowing what she knows in the sense of understanding the Old Testament. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. Just the wind, don't worry about it. And do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He's saying that there comes this point, this final day, where we're, we'll say, God, I, I'm with you. And Jesus says, I, I, I never knew you. But did we do all these things for you? Did we do all these things in your name? But Jesus says, I never knew you. And basically it's revealing that, that the heart of God is for us to know him. Now, if we keep reading, the very next chunk in, in, in that passage talks about this example of a man who built his house on the rock versus the man who built his house on the sand. And in both situations, a storm comes and that house takes a beating, but the one built on the rock is still standing and the one built on the sand, falls with a great mighty crash. And the point of that is that when we follow God and do the things that he calls us to do, live the kind of life that we, he calls us to live as we come to understand scripture, that that is equivalent to building our lives on a firm foundation, the firm foundation of Jesus. So as we come to know who Jesus is, should the actions of our lives change? Yes. Should we do things for God? Should we do things that look like what God calls us to do? Yes, all that is true, but that begins with the relationship with Jesus. And that's what was missing from those who, who, that Jesus was referring to. Those who would say, Lord, Lord, what? Uh, um, not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, uh, will enter because some didn't have that relationship with him. There's a difference, see? There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Do you know that Arnold Schwarzenegger is from Austria? And he won Mr. Olympia seven times? It's pretty darn impressive. I know that his catchphrase is, I'll be back. Because I saw most of his movies live uh, when they first came out. Not live, like, whatever, you get the point. I know Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor of California, and I don't know why this fascinates me so much, but, but do you know that when he was governor that he was a Republican and his wife was a Democrat? I just, 
I don't know, it intrigues me. I, I find it interesting, or now, now ex-wife, but his daughter is engaged to Chris Pratt, the actor. So some of you are like, Steve, where are you going with this? This is all useless information for me. Others are pulling out Facebook and tweeting, did you know? Well, I know all these things about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, I don't know Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know him. I've never met the guy. I've never spent time with him. If you can count some of his movies, watching him, maybe we have some shared experiences, but I don't think he was really engaged in that those moments. I, I don't know him. See, knowing God personally, it begins with a relationship through Jesus. Jesus made this possible. It, it, it may seem like I'm, I'm harping on this one point, but church, I, I've seen too many people who say, hey, I, I've grown up in the church and I do church things and I, I'm a good person and so I'm all good, but they have no genuine relationship with Jesus. My heart, my desire is that we would each grow in that that desire to know him. The relationship with Jesus results in a life of doing what God desires, a life of seeking after God's desires over our own. And it all starts with this heart for God. And he would love to grow in relationship with each one of us. So the question I want to leave us with, as we answer this question, can I know God personally? Yes, we can. And the greatest way to do that is through Jesus. That God has made a way that in Jesus we can be in relationship with him. So the question is, are we willing to grow in that relationship? Because it begins and ends with Jesus. And from that, all these other life changes take place, but it's got to start in that foundation of Jesus. So will you take that journey with me? Will you grow in that relationship with Jesus? That's our heart here as a church. It's our heart as a people. We long to walk with you. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that that you would speak to each one of us. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself. You would help us to see you in the various ways that you've made yourself known. Father, if, if we find ourselves in a position where we're doing a lot of things for you, we're doing a lot of things that are church things or religious things, but don't know you, Father, I pray that you would help us to see that. I pray that you would humble us. I pray that you would strip everything away, that we count everything else as loss and be able to come to this point where we truly see pursuing you and knowing you as the greatest thing this life has to offer. And I thank you, Father, that when we do that, that you bring meaning to all that we do. You bring such meaning to this life as we live for you. Father God, if there's those listening right now who've never entered into a relationship with you, I pray that you would soften their hearts. I pray that you would be speaking to them now. Help them to see that a relationship with you is simple. But it's a relationship you desire. Like a father desiring to spend time with his children, desiring to know them and be known by them. But you are this father who desires to be in relationship with us. And you knew that our sin would get in the way, our junk and our garbage would, would, would muddy the waters and, and keep us from getting to you. And so you made a way for us to be with you through Jesus. 
Father, if there's any listening right now who's not trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would soften our hearts and enable us to take that step now to say, Jesus, I believe you are God. I believe your death on the cross paid the price for my wrongs, for my brokenness, for my sin. And I believe that you imparted upon me your righteousness, and I now stand before God as just a sinner. And don't leave us there, Father. Don't let us walk away from that and just go do some stuff. But let that be a, I mean, a full-on course correction in our lives that we would then go your way. We would then pursue you and walk with you, Jesus. I pray that be a prayer of all of us, that wherever we stand with you, Father, when we walk through these doors, that we would continue our days pursuing to know you more. Thank you for revealing yourself in so many ways. Thank you for revealing yourself in Jesus. Thank you for offering forgiveness of our sins so we can be in relationship with you. And Father, as we follow you, I thank you for the mighty works you're doing and the mighty works you will do as you make much of your name. You get all the glory. Thank you for the ways that you work for our good. I pray this all in your name.